Friends, would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we ask that your Holy Spirit move among us, that among the words of Scripture and sermon, we may be surprised to discover your living Spirit moving in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, where you're in a series, a sermon series on parables. Uh, we are hearing today uh, what may be a familiar parable, uh, but hopefully we'll hear it anew. Listen for the word of the Lord as we begin with chapter 10, verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you need? What do you read there? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend." Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know how there's a, a bad tired and a good tired? Some of us around here are good tired this week because we had vacation Bible school. We had 135 children uh, that were with us, and we're tired. <laughs> but it's a good tired. They spent the week learning about parables. We want our children to learn about parables because we need to learn about parables. Why? One of the primary ways that Jesus taught was by parables. And so I want to just help move along our understanding of what parables are and are not. Uh, I, now, I'm going to start out with what a parable is not. 
Um, as I read this parable this week and I heard the lawyer start out saying, who? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I free associate sometimes and immediately I heard Horton hears a who. <laughs> Horton hears a who, this, this elephant, Horton, discovers a tiny planet located on a speck of dust, and he tries to save it from the evil kangaroos who don't want to see it, don't want to hear about it, and make fun of him for even thinking that it matters. But Horton goes to great lengths to keep it from being incinerated. And to end up, the moral of the story is, a person's a person no matter how small. Now I want you to know, if you ever hear a story that can be summed up at the end in the moral of the story is, that's not a parable. <laughs> okay? Let's just be clear. That, that those other stories are sweet and beautiful and we can learn something from them. It's not a parable. Now, since we've brought up Dr. Seuss, Let's talk a little bit more about that, that Horton Hears a Who. That story came because Dr. Seuss was a cartoonist during World War II. And he ended up, because he was on the side of the Allies, drawing a bunch of cartoons that were really aimed with hatred toward the enemy. In other words, hatred toward Japan. And it was only after the war that he actually visited Japan. And he went around to the schools to talk with the children. And from the children, he heard their hopes and dreams, and it changed him. It changed him so that he wanted to change the world with his story. So he writes this beautiful, this beautiful allegory uh, about how the allied occupying forces in Japan should treat the Japanese with compassion. That's a historical story. Parables are not history. We can learn something from history. We should learn something from history, but that's not a parable. What is a parable? That's what our task is today and over the course of the next few weeks. Here we have Jesus hearing a who, but it is a dramatically different sort of story. The Bible talks about seeing. If you paid attention in that early part of the story and the rest of the story, the question of seeing comes up ten times. That's what this story is really about, how we see the world. Jesus is there with a lawyer. The lawyer uh, asks uh, the question, who is my neighbor? Or, or uh, how, how, do we, um, uh, how do we fulfill the law? And, and Jesus uh, questions him, what does the scripture say? And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, which for those who are here for the first time is written in stone around this sanctuary to help us remember who we are. <clears throat> The lawyer answers correctly, and Jesus says, you've got it. But then the lawyer says, but who really is my neighbor? That kind of reminds you of uh, when Mark Twain was seen reading the Bible. His friend asked him, are, are you looking for inspiration? And Twain answered, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> That's what's going on with this lawyer. He's looking for loopholes. The lawyer says, who is my neighbor? And, the para uh, and, and Jesus answers with this story, this parable. 
Now, I have to say another thing about parables. A lot of times, parables are domesticated. They're turned into lapdogs. These are stories that are supposed to dramatically challenge our life, but we've heard enough times and we forget the power of them. So this story is referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I invite you, open up the Bible and look and see, and nowhere in that story is the Samaritan called good. Nowhere. I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but to say, uh, you know, that, that there's a question that's being raised there. In the overview of the parable, we see that every one of them raises a scandal, a shock, a paradox, something that shakes us up. So our challenge is to say, what is it that, that really would shake us up in seeing this story? Well, when you're a storyteller, often you use a device called the, the rule of threes. You know the rule of threes? The rule of threes is three clergymen walk into a bar, <laughs> a minister, a priest, and a rabbi. They're playing a game of poker and it's illegal. The police burst in. First they question the priest, were you gambling? The priest crosses himself and lies, no. Then they question the minister, were you gambling? He says a pri pri silent prayer for forgiveness and, 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 and says, no. Then the police ask the rabbi, were you gambling? And the rabbi looks at the priest, looks at the minister, looks at the officer and says, with who? <laughs> That's the rule of threes. It's a flow of a story, A, B, C. You know what to expect as it goes along. But for the parables, and in this parable in particular, it doesn't give you the third person that you expect. Walk through the parable. A man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a steep downhill road even today. It looks like the badlands of South Dakota. Steep terrain, washed out arroyos, dried up creek beds, crevices, cracks, caves, lots of places for robbers to hide. And so they do. They leap out and attack this traveler. They meet him, bug him, rob him, and, and strip him. They, they leave him on the side of the road in the hot sun, bleeding and half dead. And this well-known, let's call him Presbyterian senior pastor comes on the situation. And he knows full well he had a duty to help this guy, but there's nobody else around. So he averts his eyes and looks the other way and swerves and keeps on driving. And then this well-known, well-loved associate pastor does the same, averting eyes and, and, and driving on by. And according to the rule of threes, we would expect the story to say, and then there was this, this beautiful Christian from the congregation who drove on by, and that's the one who stopped. That's what we would expect with a nice little moral, now you be a good Christian. But that's not what the story says. The story says it was a Samaritan who came by. What is a Samaritan? in those days. The Samaritans were the people who were in essence the Benedict Arnolds, the traitors to the people of Israel. They were the enemy. It's the enemy who stops. 
We expect the enemy to stop and maybe go over and kick the guy while he's down uh, or, or something worse. But this enemy sees what everybody else has averted their eyes about. This enemy slams on the brakes, gets out the medical kit, stops the bleeding, washes it off with his bottle of wine that he had in the car. He's wearing a white linen suit, but he picks up the bloody half-dead man, puts him in the car, doesn't care that the blood and dirt and filth get all over him or all over his white leather seats. The enemy drives him to the nearest hotel, which happens to be a Hilton, puts him in a room, feeds him broth and crackers, and sits by his bedside all night long, keeping a cold compress on his head. And when he has to leave the next day, he goes down to the front desk, and he gives the attendant his credit card and says, I want to open a tab on this guy, do anything that he needs. I'll be back and we'll settle up. I'll be back in two weeks. That's what the enemy does here. The Samaritan's the enemy. You can't call the enemy good, can you? So you can't call the Samaritan the good Samaritan. It doesn't make sense. It takes away the power of the story. That would be, you couldn't say the good enemy any more than you could say the good Nazi. It's a contradiction in terms. Jesus doesn't Ask this man to be good. He says, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers the, with the parable of who proved to be neighbor. Now, now, pay attention to the story. In stories, it kind of works like this. You know who the characters are. In, in this story, we know who the priest is, who the Levite is, who the innkeeper is, who the bandits are, who the Samaritan is. The one person whose identity we do not know is the one in the ditch. Who was that person in the ditch? Well, the person in the ditch is you. The person in the ditch is you. When you are lying half dead in the ditch, what sort of boundaries will you want to put up about who you're willing to have help you? Are you going to say you only say you only want to be saved by someone of your own religion, a Presbyterian? Or is it okay to be saved by a Lutheran? <laughs> or an Episcopalian? Or a Sikh? Or a Muslim? Do you only want to be saved by someone of your own race? Because make no mistake about it, this is a story about race. Do you only want to be saved by someone of your own political party? Do you only want to be saved by someone of your own nationality? Do you only want to be saved by someone of your own sexual orientation? This parable wants to know who is your enemy and who shows compassion. Being a neighbor is all about compassion. I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska for nearly 20 years, and down the street from me, about four blocks away, there was this Jewish synagogue. The rabbi there was a great guy, well-respected in the community, but he was constantly harassed by this American neo-Nazi. This neo-Nazi did some really terrible things to harass and threaten the rabbi, and the rabbi reached out to contact this guy. The man agreed, and the two men met. 
The Nazi admitted that for all his hatred of Jews, he'd never actually met one before. The two men developed a relationship. It wasn't too long after that, this neo-Nazi became really, really sick. It was a life-threatening condition, and the rabbi and his wife took him into their home, and they cared for him for the rest of his life. And the whole rest of the city knew about this. And this made the national news, and it's made it into books, because it's so astounding that that what was supposed to be an enemy situation turned into a situation where the man being harassed turned into neighbor. It changed the way people think, at least the possibilities of what we could do and be. That's the parable of the compassionate Samaritan. It's about us asking ourselves, who are our enemies? Who do we hate? Who gives us the heebie-jeebies? We wouldn't want one of those people touching us. And are we willing to see the world through Jesus' eyes? So that when we are the one lying in the ditch, someone's willing to cross the road, not avert their eyes, but to cross the road and to help us. Are we willing to treat like a neighbor, those around us. This is a story that does not depend on who is out there. It depends on who is in here, in our own minds and imaginations. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says and talks about seeing. He says it again and again. It's about seeing. Do you see who that is out there? And how do you see yourself? Jesus is shrewd. He knows we have enemies. He knows that we nurture in our imagination all sorts of assumptions about how these other people are of lesser value or may not even count as human beings at all. How we nurture in our imaginations our fear, our our barriers, our physical barriers, our social barriers, the stories that we tell. And how easy it is, how easy it is to justify averting our eyes and driving on by. But Jesus wants us to see. And what about when we are the ones in the ditch and we need some ounce of human compassion? Will we have made a world that allows the enemy to treat us as human beings? a couple years ago in Weatherford, Texas, eight inmates were in a holding cell waiting to appear in court. They were being watched by a single guard. The guard sitting uh, across the room from their cell with his gun and keys, and the prisoners watch as the guard nods off. They kind of smirk and think he fell asleep. Then he slumps down and falls on the floor, and the prisoners realize there's something really wrong. They shout and holler for the other deputies outside, but the holding cell is soundproof so nobody comes to the door. And they know it may be a quarter of an hour before anybody else will check on them. And by that time, if this guard is having a heart attack, he may may be beyond help. So a prisoner named Nick figures out how they can break out of the cell, which they do. 
They get to the outer door and they start banging on the door until the other deputies come running. The other deputies who think that they're trying to break out, they come with their guns drawn uh, and, and it takes a couple minutes to figure out uh, that, what's going on. And then somebody starts CPR on this guard and the paramedics come and shock his heart and long story short, the guard lived. Nick, Nick was the name of the prisoner who helped to make this happen. Nick is a meth addict who'd been in prison four times before and now is up to go to prison his fifth time. But he probably saved this guard's life. I ask you, in that story, who ended up guarding whom? When you see someone in uniform, I think we should say thank you for your service. When you see this recidivist meth addict can you picture yourself saying, thank you for your service? That's the Samaritan. Jesus' parable demolishes our preconceived ideas and tears down our, our physical barriers, our social barriers, and our mental barriers in the stories that we tell ourselves. Could it be that one day your enemy may be the neighbor who will save you? If that is the case, what kind of world do we want to create? The question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, who am I? Who are we? And how can we act as neighbor today? Jesus tells a story and then simply says, go and do it. Amen.